Welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. I got a lot to get across to you today. As I put this one together, I knew I was going to probably catch some grief from my daughter on all the notes she had to cut in there. But um, I, I want to continue the series I've been teaching on uh, Killing Faith Killers. Um, and what we've been talking about is really identifying the areas of life and in our life that can hinder us from walking in the fullness of what God desires for us. And so, uh, and so for the sake of time, let's just jump right in and read our opening text and pray. Uh, Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you love us, that you care about us, and I thank you for this wonderful group of people and for any of those that, anybody that will listen to this online, we are thankful for them as well. And Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you'll anoint my lips, that you'll enter this space today, that you'll invade our thoughts and our heart, and you'll use me to speak to the hearts of each person here so that we, we hear from heaven today, Father, so that we grow in our relationship with you, so that we take positive steps forward. And so that we can say that we're better because we came to church today. I just give you praise and thanks for helping me and using me and for helping each one of us stay attentive and being able to hear all that you have for us today. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we pointed two things out in that opening text, and I, I hit it every week. I'm going to hit it again. Um, first of all, we pointed out that that verse says that our vines have tender grapes. And I won't go into a long, you know, uh, ordeal, because if you've been through the message, you've heard me say this already. But the truth is, is that God has already blessed us because of what Jesus has done for us. We're not waiting for God to bless us. We're not waiting for him to grant us a promise. You know, sometimes people come to God. I've said this. People come to God when they have a need in their life and their mindset is, Lord, I need you to give me this. I need you to release this from your hand for me. But the truth of the scripture teaches us, not just the truth of the matter, because I say that a lot. It's a catchphrase for me. Now everybody will follow that. Every time I say it, you'll think, yep, he says it a lot. But the truth of the scripture teaches us that God is not holding a promise waiting to grant it to you. He has already released it to you because of what Jesus has done for us, and it's up to us to receive it by faith. We see this in Galatians, it's all throughout the scripture, but we see it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 and 9. It says, understand then that those who have faith are the children of Abraham. What does that mean? Well, Abraham was the, considered the father of our faith. He extended faith toward God, and because of that, God considered him righteous. And because of that, when we extend faith, we are called the children not only of God, but children of Abraham, descendants of Abraham spiritually. And it goes on to say, so those who rely on faith, notice this, are blessed. They are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So what that scripture tells us is that we are already blessed. The blessing of God is already on your life. The healing of God, the power of God, the need, whatever it is you need, it's already yours. Some people would say, well, why don't I have it yet? It's because of a connection that needs to take place between our faith and what God has promised. The way we receive from heaven is by faith. And we see this in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 27. It says, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. Two blind men followed him. 
Think of the effort they had to put in to do that. Now, I got to tell you, I got a little dog I love at home, but she, she's got cataracts and she can't see and she bounces around everywhere that house, but she gets herself around. But these guys were following Jesus, following after him, and they were blind. And they were saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And after Jesus had entered the house, the blind men came to him and said, Do you believe that I am able to do this? He asked, and they said, yes, Lord. They answered. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. According to your faith. And so what did Jesus say there? You know, Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. He hadn't shed his blood yet. The promise of healing hadn't been freely released yet. So they had to come to him to receive it. But that's a different scenario today. See, some people still see themselves as the, the blind men still come and saying, God, I need you to reach in and heal me. He's already released it. It's already out here floating in the atmosphere right now, ready for you to reach out and take it. But the way you get it, it says here, is, is he says, according to your faith. And so our faith is how we make a connection between what God promises and what we possess in this life when it comes to his spiritual promises. And so what that does is when we understand that, it eliminates that religious mindset that constantly points the finger at God as the reason why we haven't received what, we, what we've been believing for. Well, maybe God had a reason. You ever heard the statement, you know, the, you know, there's a reason for everything. Like God's got some reason for saying, no, I'm going to hold that one back from you when I've already told you you can have it. Right? We don't have to talk God into what he's already said is ours. All we got to do is receive it. And so Jesus said the way we receive is by faith. And so our faith is how we receive. And when we don't receive, it is typically because our faith is under attack and our, or either our faith is weak or our faith is wavering. It's always a disconnect of my faith. You know what that also does? It puts us in the healthy spot of looking at ourselves and saying, when I'm not receiving, I'm not going to believe a lie and keep thinking I'm waiting on God because it won't change things. But it allows us to really look into our hearts and say, what do I need to, how do I, how do I need to grow? How do I need to let my faith grow? And it puts us in that healthy spot of being able to correct what needs to be corrected so that we can walk in all that God has for us. Amen. Not because he's waiting for us to correct it, but because what needs to be corrected is standing in the way of us, receiving what he's already so graciously granted. And so Song of Solomon says, catch us the foxes, the little foxes. And so that's thus the name of this series, the faith killers are killing faith killers. There are little foxes that'll rob us from enjoying the grapes, the blessings that God has already given us. And we've talked about a lot of those. Um, we've talked about spiritual ignorance, disobedience. We go through the whole list. But today, I want to talk to you about two more. And actually, it's actually five more, but I didn't want you guys to run out of here because you thought it was going to keep you too long. No. Um, it's actually five more, but three... Uh, it's actually, I'm sorry, it's four more, but, but three of the four I've categorized into one group. So we'll be able to get through them relatively quickly with still learning about what God has for us today. And so two more, uh, two more faith killers, two more things that can um, rob us of walking in what God has for us. And I will tell you that these two are really matters of, of, are matters of the heart. They're matters of how, we, uh, how our heart is, how we live our life before God. And the first uh, three that I categorize as one are this, uh, lust, greed, or selfishness. Everybody say lust. Everybody say greed. Everybody say selfishness. Here's a reason why many times we don't receive what we've prayed about or walk in uh, what God has promised. Notice what it says in James chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives 
so that you may spend it on your pleasures. He says one of the reasons we don't receive is because we ask with the wrong motives. And the wrong motive that he said there was that you would spend it on your own pleasures. Now that, that's important to recognize and I want to dig into this a little bit because I think many times we can read that and read it incorrectly and, take, and really take a knee-jerk reaction to the way that God wants us to live our lives and trusting Him. But there is a truth in here. The question though is this, if, if, if spending it on your own pleasures, does that mean that I can't believe God for anything that I, that, I, that I would personally consume that would make my life enjoyable, that would make my life better? Is that what that verse means? That I can never believe for anything that would bring me pleasure? Well, the answer to that question is no, that is not what it means. And we know that's not what it means because God has promised us in many, many places and commanded us in many places to trust Him for what would bring us our heart's desire and pleasure or would meet our own personal needs. And so He's not telling us that we shouldn't do that. As a matter of fact, we can see this in Mark chapter 11 and verse 24. Jesus said, Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever th what things soever you desire. Well, that just seems to be contrary to what we just read, right? Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them. And you'll have them. And so Jesus actually tells us to pray and trust God for what we desire, right? We see it again in Psalm 20 and verse 4. It says, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill your plans. There again, God tells us that we should believe for what we desire out of life. We should believe for our plans to go well. In Psalm 21 and verse 1 and 2, it says, O Lord, in, o Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. Notice this, you have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. So once again, we see here that although in James, we've got James telling us one of the reasons we don't receive is because we ask amiss, because we seek to consume it upon our own lust. But in, in this verse, in these verses, we see that God gives you what you desire and he tells us to trust him for what we desire. And so what we see in these verses is that God, is, there's nothing wrong with believing for personal desire, but the real problem is the motive of the heart. And that's what James said, you ask with the wrong motive. And so we need to more clearly understand what does he mean when he says you seek to consume it upon your own pleasures. Because how many of you realize if you're seeking God and believing God and trusting God for the money just so you can take your family on a vacation, how many of you realize that ain't changing the kingdom of God? Maybe, you know, we could dress it up and say, okay, well, you know, it's making me rest so I can be better to help. But how many realize you're consuming it personally, Right? Money you could be spending on a building fund or feeding the needy or anything else, right? But you're spending it on yourself. Does that mean you should feel guilty about that? No, it does not mean you should feel guilty about that. Isaiah tells us that God gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. See, he gives you things so that you can be a blessing and he gives you things so you can consume them. Twofold. But the issue is, is not the believing for the, the desire or the pleasure in your life. The issue is doing it with the wrong motive of heart. And we see this in James chapter 4 and verse 3 in the Amplified. I like the Amplified because it amplifies what, we, what that verse says. It says, you ask God for something and you do not receive it because you ask with wrong motives. Notice this, out of selfishness or with an unrighteous agenda. 
See, asking for things to heap it upon your own pleasure has to do with the motive of the heart. It has to do with trying to accumulate things with no consideration for others and no consideration for the kingdom of God and no consideration for how your life could be a blessing. And it's an attitude that says, I don't care who it hurts, I want it anyway. That's the motive that we're talking about. And that's the reason many times, and it can be subtle, it may not be that quite in your face. You may be asking for it, not realizing that in this situation, maybe your heart is in the wrong place. Maybe you should be thinking about some other things. Amen or on me, right? You know, when you teach about matters of the heart, you might as well just strap on your steel toe boots because, because matters of the heart just step on your toes, right? But notice what he says here. See, the reason, uh, notice what he says there. He says, for you ask God for something and you do not receive it because you ask with wrong motives out of selfishness. And so, and so these motives of lust, selfishness, and greed, I want to talk about those for a moment. First of all, what is lust? Lust is, a, a lot of people, when you think about lust, a lot of people think about that as a sexual thing. Um, and, and certainly, if you, how many of you realize if you're, uh, you know, desiring another man's wife or you're not married and you're desiring to sleep with somebody you're not married with, how many of you realize that's lustful? That's something God commands you not to do. But how many of you realize just as much so as if God tells you, I, I want you to do this with your life and you say, I, but I want to go over here, that's lustful over here, right? That had, may have nothing to do with sexuality. And so lust is a desire or a craving or a longing for what is forbidden, it's just craving something that God says specifically that you can't have. God, and, and so it's important to recognize when we bring that kind of desire to before God, how many of you realize you ask God for something he says you can't have, the answer's going to be no, right? That ain't got nothing to do with God withholding. It's like I already told you you can't have it. You know, one of the worst scenarios i ever heard of, when I was in Bible school, I remember when a pastor came in and was teaching and he told us this story of uh, a young man, a younger man in his church that was, um, uh, uh, it was a big church, right? You know, a big, big church, had a big choir and choir would sing every Sunday morning and one of the young guys was believing God for a wife there and, uh, and so the pastor was talking to him one day and he asked him, he said, you know, how things going? He said, well, I'm just believing God for a wife. He said, oh good, well, he'll send him one and send you one. God's faithful and, and he said, no, I already know who it is. I've already claimed her. He said, well, who is it? And he said, well, so-and-so. It was a pretty lady that was in the choir that stood in the choir singing. Unfortunate thing was this lady was already married. How many of you realize God ain't going to answer that prayer? Right? See, when God specifically says you can't have it, well, then you need to let it go. You need to just let it go. Right? And just put that one aside. And so lust is a reason why we would not be able to receive when, God, when, uh, when we're believing God for it. So check your heart. Has God said you, you know, and you say, well, it doesn't really say it in his word, but has he dealt with your heart about something? Has he dealt with your heart about, I want you doing this, or I want you doing that, or I don't want you doing this? And yet you're believing God for it, right? You might want to lay that one down. Because you'd be believing until the cows come home and you just won't receive it it's not in the plan and purpose of God for you but how many of you realize if it's clearly stated in his word like healing like prosperity like joy like peace like salvation you can believe God for that for all your heart's desire and he'll bless you with it and it's not lustful to want it amen 
Amen. Another one is selfishness. What is selfishness? Concern excessively or exclusively with oneself. Seeking or concentrating on one's own advantage, pleasure, or well-being without regard for others. And so selfishness with any prayer that's seated in, you know, Lord, I want this and I don't care who it hurts, but I'm just going to believe God for it. Right? That kind of selfishness will rob us of our prayers being answered. And then the last one is greed. Greed uh, is, is defined as this. It's a selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed. Wait a minute, isn't God the God of more than enough? Didn't he bless his followers with more than they needed? Well, how does this one play in then? Well, how many realize we need to resolve that, understand it, so that we're not, it's not hindering our faith, first of all, because we think we're believing for something we shouldn't be believing for. Right? So what is greed? It is a selfish and excessive desire to accumulate wealth and hoard it unto myself and never a desire to be a blessing to others with it. See, greed has everything to do with me and nothing to do with anybody else. Remember the story that Jesus told in the Bible? You know, I got all the money in the world and I built all these houses, but I still got money left over. Let's just tear them down and build some more houses. No consideration for the kingdom of God. No consideration for those around you. No consideration for anybody. That kind of greed and hoarding is something that God does not uh, uh, smile upon, and God will not bless that. You may go out and by the strength of your own hand be blessed, but it won't be God's blessing. It'll be something you have to give an account for. And so greed and selfishness. See, God desires to bless us. Why? He desires to bless us so that we can be a blessing. He desires to give us more than we need so that we have an abundance left over to give to every good work, as it says in 2 Chronicles, Corinthians chapter 9. Amen? Notice Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, I don't know why I've got ones and twos in there, but forgive my typos. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go out from your country and, and your kindred and your father's house to stand to, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Right? Well, if you know the story of Abraham, the Bible tells us that Abraham, if you look after God said that to him in the next chapter, the verse verse, it says that God blessed him and he was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. So much so that he was overrun with what he had and him and Lot had to figure out how we go, what we going to do with all this. They had more than they needed. Well, was that wrong? Was that abundance wrong? Absolutely not. But if the motive of his heart would have been, I'm doing this because I want to hoard it and I want to greet it, that would have been a real problem. Amen? There's lots of people that accumulate wealth because of greed. You know, I was reading the other day, and so, so it's nothing wrong. I wrote to put this in highlight in blue. It must be important. So it's nothing wrong with believing for an abundance beyond your needs, but the reason for what you desire the abundance will determine God's involvement in you receiving it. Did you catch that? Your motive will determine how much God's involved in you receiving it. I, I, you know, I, I'm so grateful for my heritage. I'm so grateful for Kenneth Hagin and the church, uh, the, the Raymond graduating there. And so I, I just had to put this in the message. I posted it on Facebook. It was an excerpt from a book I read of his called The Midas Touch. And I want you just to hear his perspective on this. It says, Jesus' prosperity was not measured by the accumulation of great wealth and worldly possessions. He did not live in a palace with rooms full of gold looking over fields of cattle and sheep. His lifestyle was not lavish or extravagant, and he was not driven by possessiveness and greed. 
Yet in a small country dominated by Rome's mighty power, where the majority of the people were oppressed and exploited, Jesus' personal needs were met. Not only that, he could afford to move around the country freely going about his father's business. He even was able to support a dozen disciples who traveled with him throughout Galilee and into the neighboring regions. Why did Jesus have such relative abundance and resources? Those resources enabled him to do God's will. Perhaps you've heard the saying, God, where, where God guides, he provides. Well, I believe the purpose of prosperity for a Christian is to do God's work and do God's will. You know, anybody that has a problem with the prosperity message doesn't know what lies at the heart of it. They look at it from the surface and the outside, and they're so worried about their own ability to maybe be greedy and lustful that they don't understand what's being said is, is God wants to bless you. I've got to tell you something. I believe with all of my heart there are, uh, pe there are rich people sitting in this church, whether you feel like it or not. Why? Not because I want your money? No. Because God wants to use you and use us collectively so that we can grow and we can reach people and we can share the message of God with them. We can love people and care for people and, and pour his blessings into people. Amen? That is the reason for it. And so a special note about desires, though. A personal desire for nice things to make life enjoyable when considering others and considering God, there's nothing wrong with that. How many of you realize God wants you riding around in the car you desire? Amen? God wants you living in a nice house. He don't want you scraping through life as a pauper. God wants you having the abundance of joy instead of being miserable all the time. All of those things God wants you to have. He desires for you to have them. So if that's the case then, how do we keep our heart right so that those things don't become, we become greedy for those things? Because once again, I said this was a heart, this is a matter of our hearts, right? How do we keep our hearts right? How do we keep our hearts from becoming greedy and lustful and selfish as we're believing God for the very things he said we could have, abundance and prosperity and blessing and all of those things? Psalm chapter 84, verse 10. Matter of fact, let's just skip down to Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. You want to know how to keep your heart right? You keep your heart on God as he takes care of what you desire. It's that simple. You don't want to be greedy and lustful, then as soon as that thing comes into your heart that you think, man, I'd like to have that, that'd be nice. Right? You ever had that thought? Ever been driving around your car and see another one and think, man, I'd like to have that car. Maybe not their car, but I'd like to have that car. Do you want to know how to keep your heart from being greedy and lustful? and your heart from becoming selfish and conceited and not thinking about others, just say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to keep serving you, but I'm going to give you that request right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving me my heart's desire. I'm trusting you and believing you for it now. I'm leaving it in your capable hands. I'm going to keep my heart on what's right as you take care of what's good. Amen? Everybody say, keep your heart on what's right as he take care, takes care of what's good. See, that keeps us in the right frame of mind. That keeps us where we need to be. Psalm 4 and verse 6 and 7 tells us that. It says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. 
So you want to guard your heart from greediness and selfishness and lust? Then when you desire something, give it to God and let Him give you bread to eat while you focus on sowing seed to be a blessing. And as you do that, I'm going to tell you what happens. It's real simple. The blessings of God chase you down instead of you chasing them down. And that's the difference in the life of a believer. We read this one last week. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 1 says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully. What does that mean? To keep your eyes on this. Make this the priority. To observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all nations of the earth. What does it say? Is if you'll keep your eye on what your, the, good, the right thing, he'll take care of the good thing. You don't have to worry about it. Amen. Verse 2, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Everybody say overtake you. You know, I thought about illustrating this point with me and my son, but I figured it might take a little time. Thought about me going standing over here and him standing over here, right? And me taking off running toward this wall as fast as I can and him chasing me. You think you'd catch me? <laughs> we can try. No, honestly, come on, don't, it's not arrogant. You think you'd catch me? I, I know he'd catch me. <laughs> you know what? That's what that verse says. When you focus on the right thing, the blessings will overtake you. You ain't got to fight for them. You won't have to grit your teeth for them. You just give them to God. So, so you got a desire you're believing God for? Stop making it your goal and start making him your goal. And just say, Lord, this is yours. I want it. I so desire it. I really desire this, Lord, but I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to let the peace of God guard my heart from being greedy and lustful and selfish. Amen? Amen. And so greed, lust, and selfishness can be something that can rob us of our prayers being answered. But i got to tell you, man, when you're believing God for all the great things he's promised you, just give them to him and leave them there. And keep your eyes focused on what's right while he takes care of what's good. Amen? Last point. Last thing I want to talk about today is this. Uh, what's, the, uh, what's, the, what's another faith killer that can rob us? And I would ask you that as we move through this one, I really believe that this is a real matter of the heart. To just soften your heart up and say, Lord, I want to hear what you have to say to me today. Because i got to tell you, he loves you so much. I was, as, before I was preaching this, you know, and we're just, just stepping up here looking at everybody milling around. I'm so, I'm so thankful and grateful to be your pastor I am so thankful and grateful for the privilege to stand here it is a it is a privilege I don't take it for granted I I just God loves you so much and so prepare your heart I believe he's given me something that he wants to share with you reverence him today and just say Lord speak to me through this because it could be a very reason why you haven't entered in and fully to what God has for you what is this what is the one what is the faith killer I'm talking about I'm talking about a failure to walk in love a failure to walk in love. John chapter 15, verses 5, 7, and 9. It's Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Want to be a big fat zero? Then don't, be abide, don't abide in Jesus. You may pull off some really great things in this life, but you'll still be a zero according to Scripture. Amen. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you in you, ask whatever you wish. Whatever you wish. 
You ever had a wish? Whatever you wish. And it shall be done for you. Now, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. It's almost incredulous to read it. Whatever I wish, it'll be done for me. Amen. See, all of a sudden, well, I don't want to be selfish. We just went through all that. Just keep your eye on what's right. Give it to him and move on, right? You ain't got to worry about being greedy, selfish. Just keep your heart right. Focus on what's on him and let him take care of what's good. Amen. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Notice that Jesus said if we abide in him, we can ask what we want and it'll be done. So that tells me in our prayer life that if we're not seeing answers, maybe we're not abiding in him. There could be one of the reasons, right? Maybe it may not be the reason for you, but it could be one of the reasons. One of the little foxes we're talking about, right? And then he goes on to tell us in verse 9 what abiding in him means. First of all, he says, if my words abide in you. So the first one is, if my words abide in you, right? So you, that doesn't mean, oh, well, Lord, I, you, know, you don't ever spend time with him. You don't ever believe his word. You don't ever study his word. You're not meditating in it day and night. And then you go to him and say, Lord, I wish this. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, you might as well forget it. If it's a big wish that's beyond your ability, you know what I mean? If it's a real miracle you need, because you ain't been abiding in his word. Amen. Once again, we got responsibility in this thing. Amen. But then verse 7 says, just as the Father has loved me, also have I loved you. Abide in my love. So another thing he tells us is, if we're going to see answers to prayer like that, if we're going to see the manifestation of what he's promised us, we got to abide in love. We have to walk in love like Jesus walked in love. According to Jesus, our love walk has something to do with our faith working properly and getting results. Notice Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. Why is that? Verse 6 says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything or uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So our faith works by love. Now, how does that work by love? I mean, we could go into technical detail about that for the sake of time this morning, though. I like to just put it this way. Uh, love is the oil that makes your faith engine work properly. When your oil gets old and gunky, things start going wrong with the engine, right? And I don't have to be a mechanic to know what's going on. I just know I need an oil change, right? And so not walking in love oftentimes can be a reason that your faith is not working properly. Now one way it affects us is that it causes us to embrace selfishness. When you're not walking in love, you're being selfish. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 says, just an excerpt from it, says, Love is not self-seeking. So one of the reasons that walking in love is critical is because it keeps you from being selfish. It keeps you from being greedy. It keeps you from the things we just talked about. Amen. But another reason why walking in love affects us is because uh, it, it, it puts us in a position where um, we're not walking under the umbrella that God has called us to walk under. Let's just put it that way. And let's, let's see it in Scripture. Mark chapter 11, verse 22 through 26. Famous, 
For anybody that's been around the word of faith or learning to believe God, these are famous words of Jesus. We've read it a lot here. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whosoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. We've talked about the, thief of, the, the fox of doubt in his heart, but believes that those things with the, which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you ask, when you pray, believe you receive them and you'll have them. But he doesn't stop there. Matter of fact, I don't even think he took a breath. And means it's tied to the previous statement. You can't get away from this. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. That is strong. That is, I'm not going to play games with that statement. Statement. Notice what he says here. He says, if, you have, if you're praying and you're asking God for something and you're believing God for it, and why are you believing God for it in the first place? Because of the blood of Jesus It says you have a right to it even though you don't deserve it? Even though you didn't earn it? If you're believing God for those things, but you have animosity in your heart towards someone, let me realize that can be deep-rooted, deep-seated. You could be carrying around for years. Now, the Spirit of God just sat down in this room. Why? Because He wants to deal with some hearts. He wants to help you this morning. I'm just telling you right now, He's here. When we choose not to forgive, we nullify our faith. When we choose not to walk in love, we're not just holding on to a little bit of bitterness. We're not just holding on to something. We've actually separated ourselves from the very grace and mercy of God that we need so desperately in our lives. See, Jesus didn't lie, and these words are eternal. And what he said is, when you choose not to forgive, your Father can't forgive you. <laughs> that ain't something to play around with. We're talking about eternal destiny in some situations. When we choose not to forgive. Now why is that? Why can't God forgive us when we choose not to forgive others? Is it sort of tit for tat? Sort of, you didn't do it, so I ain't going to do it. No, because what I know about my Heavenly Father is He loves us. He is always seeking to bless us. What that says then is this. He's not withholding His forgiveness. We have put a block between the forgiveness we so desperate. We have chose not to be forgiven is what we've done. As much as choosing not to accept Jesus. Come on now. This is not, I mean, how many realize we don't play church here? This is not make you feel good all the time. This is, this is, but it will make you feel good if you take your medicine. Woo, it'll make you feel real good. Why can't God forgive us when we don't forgive others? Well, let's take a look. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. It says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll clearly see how to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
That's a whole different message, but I'll tell you what you'll clearly see. You need to get on your knees and pray for them instead of judge them. That's how you get the speck out of your brother's eye, not judging them. Amen. Basically, what Jesus is saying is this, is when you choose not to forgive somebody, you are choosing a system of judgment instead of a system of mercy and grace. You've made a personal choice for what you want. See, that's the subtlety of unforgiveness. You don't realize what you just chose. You think you just chose to hold on to a hurt. You think you just chose to hold on to an offense. But what you chose was judgment instead of mercy. And God says in his word, choose this day. Whatever. Will you make a choice? God ain't going to overrun you no matter how much he wants to. What do I mean by a system of judgment and mercy? Mercy and grace, what is that system? That's the grace, that's the, that's the system that says, because Jesus died on the cross of me, I'm trusting for something I don't deserve as a human being. I was a sinner. I was lost, I transgressed, I offended you for reasons that may be reasons even greater than the offense that I'm holding. They may be smaller reasons, who knows? But I chose that mercy and grace because I needed it. But a system of judgment says, I want what I deserve. Right? That's what a system of judgment is. Judgment says you did this and you get what you deserve. That's what our legal system's based on, hopefully if it's run right. <laughs> right? But the, system, the kingdom of God isn't run on a system of justice, although God is a God of justice. He's inserted the blood of Jesus to allow us to forego judgment. Oh, thank God for that. But we have to choose every day that, Lord, I want to put my trust in your mercy and grace, not in what I deserve. Romans chapter 2 and verse 1 and 4 tells us this. It says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Those are strong words to the believer. Because you who pass judgment do the same thing. What's he saying? You did the same sin? No, what he's saying is, is you're doing the same thing. You've chosen judgment over mercy. Or do you show contempt for the riches of the kindness and forbearance and patience, not, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? What's he saying there? You see, well, oftentimes we'll quote the verse, the goodness of God leads men to repentance. What that's talking about is the goodness of God should lead us to repentance. The believer. It should lead us to a place that says, man, if God forgave me, then I should forgive you. Amen. God's kindness toward us should cause us to choose to change our heart and forgive even when we don't want to. Why? First of all, because it's equitable. I just said it, it's equitable. If God did it for me, and if he was kind enough to do it for me, then I need to extend the same to you. We could go read the story of the evil ruler that had all of his you know, uh, debt forgiven, and then he went out and he held his thumb on everybody else. I tell you, that's a picture of most of the church today. We're holding our thumb on a lost world instead of saying, Lord God, forgive. I, you forgave me. I'm going to forgive them and leave the judgment to you. Amen. But another reason is because not only does it, not only because it's equitable, but because secondly, God's kindness should cause us to forgive so that we can continue to reap the benefits of grace and mercy instead of choosing the repercussions of judgment. 
quickly should that make us want to forgive people? See, people fail. You don't realize what they did to me. I don't care what they did to you. Is it worth hell? Is it worth hell? Is it worth God not forgiving you? Because that's what Jesus said. That's what he said. If you can't forgive, I won't forgive. Not because he is unwilling to, but because you chose judgment. See, that's the subtlety of an offense. An offense can deceive you and cause you to think, well, I was hurt. I'm justified in holding it. I'm justified in not liking them. I'm justified because they're doing this. Ain't got nothing to do about justified, because if it's justified, you're justified in hell without Jesus. Strong preaching this morning, but good preaching that'll help us. James chapter 2 and verse 4 says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Right? That's important to note. He says, Speak and act by those that are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. If you live like Jesus, love like Jesus, forgive like Jesus, you're going to be a judge by a law that gives you freedom. That means you don't got to be afraid of the day you stand before Jesus. Don't even have to fear it. Although we'll tell you, you stand in his mighty hand, it will be a moment of like, ooh, <laughs> right? Verse 13. Let's read the whole thing again. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So Jesus is telling us, make the right choice with your life. Walking in love. Why, does, why did Jesus say, ask what you will, believe and receive and you'll have it, but when you stand praying, forgive. Why? Because I've got to tell you something. The reason we receive anything is not because our faith is so strong, it's because God is so good. I'll say that again. <laughs> I didn't plan on saying that. The reason we receive anything is not because our faith is so strong, it's because God is so good, but our faith exercises that opportunity to receive of his goodness. And so mercy oversees, overcomes judgment. See, it, it's never a situation, people think, well, you know, is God mad at me because I have forgiven? No, his heart breaks for you. <laughs> He's coming at you as hard as he can this morning, saying, man, let that little thing go. It, it's in the light of eternity... That's a speck on a cow's butt. Who cares? Just let it go. Let it go. Forgive. Now, I've got to tell you, when I said he is here this morning, I believe he's here this morning because this is an area that's, I mean, we're human beings. We can be hurt. We can be offended. And you may look back over your life, and there may be things, right, you know, you say, well, I just can't forgive him. Yes, you can. The Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. You may not want to forgive him. You may not want to let it go. But if you've accepted Jesus, his love's in your heart, and you can make a choice to forgive. Now, you may need to say 20 times a day for the next couple of weeks, I forgive him. I choose mercy instead of judgment. But mercy will triumph over judgment if you keep choosing it. But make a choice to forgive. Why? So the oil in your faith engine is clean and pure. Musicians, if you'll come to the t uh, table, <laughs> come to the platform, amen. So two more faith killers that can hinder and nullify our faith. Lust, selfishness, and greed all categorize as one for me. 
and then secondly, not walking in love. What are the cure for these two things? Well, it's just real simple. These are matters of the heart. These are the, these are the things that Jesus said to the, when he said to the Pharisees. Remember, he said, you're a bunch of whitewashed sepulchers. You worry about all the outside stuff when what you should be worried about are the matters of the heart. See, these are matters of the heart, so how do you fix your heart? It's real simple. Psalm 139 and verse 23 says, Man, I just ask you to let this be your heart as I read this to you this morning. Let it be your heart, your sincere heart before God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. You know, that's a bold statement. That's saying, Lord, I want you to know what is wrong in my heart right now. I want you to expose it. I want you to shine a light on it. I want you to show it to me. I want you to make it clear to me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. You can't hide them from him anyway. You can't kid him. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The cure for these faith killers is to lay your heart before God and just say, Lord, look at my heart. If there's something ugly there, if there's some oil that needs change, and change it. Lord, take it out of me. I give it to you. I make a choice for mercy for me, but also mercy for others that may have offended me and hurt me in my life. David said it this way, Psalm 51 and verse 10. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I don't know about you, but I want to forgive like Jesus forgave. He hung on a cross when people pierced his side, whipped him and beat him, misjudged him, 